right, guys, today on the podcast, we got Brian, the remote investor. How's it going, baby? Going good, B. How Excited you doing, to have you man? on. Likewise. Yeah, so I want to have you on because I actually want to get into remote investing because I'm not sure if it's a scam. I'm not sure if buying houses in these cheap areas makes sense. Like, I know you invest in Detroit, right? I do. Okay, so before we figure out if it's a scam or not, I guess, like, tell me, like, how did you get into real estate? So I started in 2006. Okay. Uh, it was my junior year in college. I kind of just stumbled into it. A friend of mine was flipping houses. I didn't know what any of that meant. He was just like, look, I got an opportunity. If you want to cover the down payment for my buyers, then I'll gift. You say, I'll give you a return on your investment on the back end. So mm -hmm. literally, I got started with a $6,000 refund check. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. In and 2006? In 2006, yeah. right? And so I stated income loans at all time high. I saw that these guys were yeah. buying properties with no job. I'm like, I could do the same thing. Yeah. And so I started buying rental properties while I was in college, and then 2008 happened. So uh -huh. everything I was over leveraged on, I was upside down on. Yeah. And um, but fortunately, I built up liquidity. So from 2008 to 10, I bought 20 doors. Okay. And I was 24, 25 at the time. Graduated mm -hmm. college, went into corporate America, kind of doing both in tandem, and then uh, got to a point where I hit my fundamental ceiling of achievement. I could only go as far as what my knowledge would take me, mm -hmm. and eventually got mentorship, and that just changed mm -hmm. the game for me. And Started flipping and wholesaling, and okay. um, in that process, I moved from Detroit to Florida. Oh, okay. And so when I moved to Orlando in 2010, it was like, well, I don't want to invest in Orlando per se. I kind of like the market I'm in, so I had to figure out how to put the infrastructure together and make all of that make sense. Got it. And then uh, we got a really good framework and model, and we've been helping people for the last six years do the same. We got students in Denmark, Japan, Afghanistan, all throughout the states, yeah. teaching people how to invest remotely, fix and flip wholesale cash yeah. flow. So how many rentals do you own now? So I've got 120 units. 120 units? Yeah, commercial multifamily mainly. I got a small uh, tranche of, you know, two to four units. but Two to four units. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, all right. So let's go to 2010, I guess. That's when you said you started flipping and wholesaling. I didn't start flipping and wholesaling until 2015 when I got my first mentor. Up until then, I didn't know how to do anything other than what I taught myself to do, which was cash flow. Mm. As broken as that was, but things yeah. were so cheap back then, it was kind of hard to miss if you had some common sense. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because I think cash flow doesn't exist anymore. Really? It's, yeah. I think houses are so expensive mm -hmm. and interest rates are so high. And I feel like no one really takes account for CapEx. Mm. They're like, oh, my rent is a thousand and my mortgage is 500. I make $500 a month, but that's not how it really works. Not at all. Right. So I guess like how, talk to me about your rental portfolio. Like, do you actually buy properties at cash flow today? Like right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Where are so, these magical properties at? <laughs> so, so as you know, right, it's not about the deal that's presented to us. It's about the deal we make. Mm -hmm. And so everything you explain are just conditions of either getting your acquisition down uh -huh. or your rehab down. Yeah. You, you got to, right. You got to move the needle one way or another yeah. in order to, unless you buy an alligator deals, which yeah. we, we definitely speak yeah. against, right? Mm -hmm. The purpose of buying cash flow is to get it to actually cash flow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've done a really good job, especially since COVID buying vacant units mm. and then coming in and putting our own tenants in there from day one, mm. because after the moratoriums, you know, it was taking us six, eight, even 10 months to get people out. And so, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, it was a nightmare, bro. And yeah. so because of that, we switched up our strategy and started buying vacant units. Yeah. Because we buy vacant units, we get deeper discounts. Mm. We come in with our teams, we do the rehab and then, uh, yeah, then fill yeah. them up. Okay. So I guess what I want to do is break down the whole process from acquisition to refinancing or financing mm -hmm. to then renting. So sure. for me, um, I have 34 doors right now okay. and I hate them. I hate rental properties. Okay. I I feel like it's so annoying. Like I feel like every tenant has a story. Yeah. It's always like like the CapEx is always getting on my damn nerves. I, I've literally hired a, an assistant and her job is to just do all the property management and yeah. don't tell me about nothing. So before that, you knew your tenants? Uh not really. I mean, you knew I mean you were I knew you, of them. Right, I knew right. they were there. Like like were you in contact with them though, um, as far as like very rarely. Okay. Very rarely. So like I would I would actually lease them out at first and then I would just like it was it was kind of done. Like the tenants that I put in, I mm -hmm. never had a problem with. But it okay. was like tenants that I took over or um I I've 
I trusted a couple of people to rent out properties. One of my freaking contractors sold me on his friend. Like just like those tenants, always a problem. <laughs> but the ones that I actually went through the whole process, mm -hmm. they were fine. But now I don't have the time to sit here and like deal with all these tenants and it's been a headache. So what my strategy is now, mm -hmm. I want 100% Section 8. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to hear no more excuses. I don't care who passed away. I don't want to hear no job stuff. I just want, I get paid. I'll send the repairs. Besides that, I don't want to hear anything else. So you're sitting down with the right guy today. Oh, really? And my whole portfolio is Section 8. Oh, there we go. Yeah. God yeah. bless me today. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I literally came to that realization last night because okay. I was like, I have a Section 8 property. And I'm like, why am I dealing with all these stupid tenants? Like, yeah. This is probably the worst podcast for people who are tenants, but I'm like, I'm so tired of hearing these stories and like all this nonsense. Like I just need section eight. So, okay. So let's talk about acquisitions. Mm -hmm. So how are you finding these properties? So the first, I don't know, four or five deals I say I found on LoopNet. Okay. Right. I mean, and these were deals that they wanted 750 that I bought for 575. That's what I mean. It's not the deal that's These presented to These are big apartments. It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, got, you're not I got, buying single... I thought you were buying two no, no, plexes, four plexes. No, 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 no. I've got a small tranche of two to four units. The rest of it is commercial multifamily. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I'm buying... Okay. You know, I bought, I don't know, two 16 units, a six unit, a 20 unit, a 40 unit. You, you know what I mean? No way. Yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I want to buy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you go on LoopNet, that's it? I mean, so yeah, I go on LoopNet, I submit an offer, we got a, a nice presentation package that we put together right upon submission, everything's in order, I got a pretty good track record, uh -huh. right? And so we've literally beat out people that offer more money, but because of our body of work in that market, like people knew that we were close. And so I, oh. I get the deals that make sense, you know? So in this presentation packet, what is it, like a headshot? Stop it, man. Stop it. Stop it. No, but it's it's just a list of all the properties that we perform on, oh. right? And just showing them that we actually close on our transactions and yeah. then having all the financials in order obviously helps. Uh -huh. And uh, it's a credibility piece, you know Got what I'm saying? It. So that when these fly-by-night people who are just running around getting free yeah. information and yeah. not knowing what they're doing, they clearly know that we we know what we're doing. Okay, so you're strictly looking on LoopNet. You're not LoopNet, and then properties are looking for me, right? Again, yeah. based on relationships and being able to execute. You know, as a wholesaler, yeah, who do wholesalers want to bring their deals to? Flippers, the, the people that can buy, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And so for me, I've gotten to a point, a point in my career where I don't have to look for deals a whole lot. They find me every day. Damn. Okay, so let's say someone's listening to this and they don't have deals coming to them every mm -hmm. day, right? And let's say they have a goal as Let's say you were coaching someone and they want to buy their first apartment in 30 days. Mm -hmm. Within 30 days, how would they go about doing that? Find wholesalers in their local market. Okay. How do you find wholesalers in your whole? I mean, just like you just said, Instagram. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. right. Social media, uh, just about every state or city mm -hmm. has some type of Facebook group that's real yeah. estate based. Mm -hmm. You could join those things. I don't necessarily recommend going to meetups. It's a lot of tire kickers in those places. Yeah. Typically, the people I find in the Facebook groups are more formidable. They're really doing the business. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, building relationships with brokers, right? Mm. Calling them, uh, letting them know who you are. If you can get knee to knee and break bread with them, that always helps. That's yeah. still power in the presence, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people can hide behind social media and yeah. all the rest of it. And so just building those relationships and then being very clear about your buy box. Like, what do you want to buy? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest benefits that you can give yourself is to actually go out and articulate what your plan is. Mm. A lot of people say, oh, I want to buy a 50 unit. Or I want, like, what, what type of, do you want a garden style building? Do you want, you know, something that has elevator access? Do you want, like, be very, the more specificity you have around what you want to buy, yeah. I think gives people a clear message that you understand what you want. So clearly they understand what you want mm. and they can go out and start seeking that on your behalf. Yeah. So can you give me an example of like a, like, what is your buy box? Because I think most people would say <clears> their <throat> buy box is, oh, I want to buy a deal below market value that cash flows. Yeah. I feel like that's what most people would say. For me, you know, I try to, I guess it it, it depends, right? It mm -hmm. depends on um, how much when I when I underwrite the deal, how much equity is there that justifies 
how much energy I want to put into it before it cash flows. Mm. Right. And so, again, because we're buying vacant units predominantly understanding, you know, what's the equitable upside? Because if I'm going out raising capital because we're doing these deals with no money out of pocket in a lot of cases, then I want to be able to present something to my investors to where if the horizon between them uh, investing and actually getting a return is longer Mm-hmm. that the upside is higher. The equitable upside is higher, right? Mm-hmm. So part of the way I structure my deals is I'll open up 50% to my limited partners and then we'll keep 50% on the general partner side, right? Can so, you bring that down for like beginners? What yeah, that? yeah, for sure. So limited partners would be private investors, mm-hmm. okay? So you take the deal and if I don't know if I want to raise capital for it, then I'm going to bring in some type of debt from a bank or mm-hmm. asset-based lender, and then I'm going to raise the equity is what we call it, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to raise the down payment plus all the carrying costs that we're going to yeah. have until we get it to a point where we cash flowing. Mm-hmm. And so I'll keep 50% open for the general partner. The general partner is typically the sponsor, the operator, the person that's putting the deal together and doing the work. Yeah. And then you'll have 50%, in my case, open for my investors. Okay. So what I do is when I go out and do the raise, then I let them participate in 50% of the cash flow as well as the equitable upside. Yeah. So if we got a million dollars in equity at some point when we cash out refinance, then we'll try to pull back their initial capital and then we'll split the equity. And then obviously when we sell, there's another payday. So you're getting paid. The investors are making money on the cash flow. They're making money on the refi potentially. And then they're making money on the exit. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But I want to try to break this down where it's almost like multifamily for dummies. Okay. So... Can we walk through like an example? Let's just say if we keep the numbers like simple, let's say you're looking at a million dollar apartment, Mm -hmm. right? Let's Mm -hmm. say it's worth $2 million. Can you break those numbers down on like- 100%. So we bought a 40 unit for 965. So that's your million bucks. 965, okay, million bucks. Uh, And we're putting- just shy of a million bucks into it. You're putting a million dollars into yeah. Damn. Yeah. So yeah, we so it, you're it, it started at seven fifty. Yeah, for damn, sure. Damn. Okay. For sure. For That's sure. That's a lot. Yeah. So we putting a million bucks into it. Okay. Um, and it's worth two seven. Two seven. Got it. Okay. We'll say three. Just yeah. Call it crazy. three. Yeah, I like yeah, I like three yeah, anyway. Yeah, Let's yeah, go yeah, with three. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, once we so we got half of the units cash flowing already. And then we're bringing on the other 22 units. So we got 18 in, in service. We're bringing on 22 others, right? Okay. At the end of that, our gross cash flow on that building is going to be like 380 grand a year. Okay. Call yeah. it 400 because you like numbers. I love, you I like love round, round numbers. Yeah, you yeah. like round numbers. So 400. 400. And so we'll net on that. Our, our operating expense will probably be about 50% on this particular building. Yeah. Maybe 40, but I'm a, we underwrote it at 50 yeah. to be conservative. So, make so we'll 200 on the NOI. Okay. Okay. So right. you make 200. Okay. Yeah. So, so okay, break the numbers down. So you bought it for a million. Mm-hmm. How much are you raising on that million? And then are you raising a million dollars to rehab it? That's a great question. So it depends on how you structure it. In this particular case, we use the asset-based lender mm-hmm. to come in and give us 75%. 75% so I, of I, the so million. I, 75% of the total cost. Of the two million. Uh, correct. Got it. Correct. Okay. Right. So, so okay. we bought in debt for 75% of the purchase and rehab, and then uh-huh. I went and got raised to 25% plus the additional funds that we needed to have reserves and, yeah. you know, the, the carrying costs. So you raised about 500000 A little over that. Yeah, a yeah. little over 500000 yeah. Okay, so yeah. you raised the $500,000. Um, you are in it $2 million. It's worth $3 million. How do the investors get paid? Absolutely. So- NOI minus the debt service. Debt service uh-huh. is simply the mortgage, uh-huh. right? So say we net $8,000 a month, uh-huh. right? Then to, back to the limited partner, general partner. Yeah. So the LPs will get $4,000. Okay. And the general partner side will get $4,000. Got it. Then once we go to refinance, we'll pull back as much of the initial investment. And so the equity partners essentially get their money back. Mm-hmm. And they got, I mean, free cash flow at that point. Also, oh, they just they get the same amount of cash flow. So there's some there's some people and some deals to where once they get the initial capital back, they're out. They're out. Yeah. For me, I appreciate that my investors took the risk with me, and so I let them stay in the deal long term. Because guess mm-hmm. what they're gonna want to do? Put that money more. back into play anyway. Yeah. Right. So for me, it just makes sense, and so it's yeah. like didn't do more deals. 
Okay, so if you're refinancing and then keeping them in the deal, are they in the deal forever? Until we sell. Okay, and yep. then when you sell, mm-hmm. let's say you sell for four million, mm-hmm. then are you saying that they would get half of the difference between the two million and the four million? For sure. Dang. Yeah. But think I about didn't it. Invest it too. But think, but think about it. They <laughs> That's put a good it, deal. They, they put a million bucks in their pocket. I put a million bucks in my pocket in addition to all of the cash flow I've gotten. Mm-hmm. How much money did I put in the deal though? Nothing. That part. But you took a risk. Of course. Yeah. It's all a risk. We yeah. take a risk every day. People take a risk going to work every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine that. That's a bigger risk. That's a way bigger <laughs> risk. Right? Yeah. So, okay, that all makes sense. But, okay, so let's just say on a typical deal like that, it's a $500,000 raise. Mm-hmm. Typically, are you raising that from like a person, two people? Is it like a Cu- crowd couple of people? people? I, I've, been, I've been blessed that I haven't had to go out and do like traditional syndication. Yeah. I just so happen to be positioned around people that's in position. And yeah, uh, yeah I haven't had. So, yeah, it's a couple people typically in my deals. Like I don't two? have- yeah, it was two in that particular situation. Oh, okay. So, yeah, because yeah, when I start hearing, like, okay, raising 500, 750, I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is a lot of people. You yeah. got a bunch of 20, 30Ks giving you money, and then you got to figure it out. But yeah. it, it makes it easier if it's It, only it like- makes it a lot easier because it's, it's a true partnership. You yeah. know what I mean? And not to negate the other way of doing it, maybe at some point I will have to do it that way. Yeah. i just been blessed that I've been able to raise millions of dollars without having to to do it that way. Got it. And then let's just say from, so you own 130 rentals, you said, right? 20. 120. Yeah. But How I like much? the way we keep growing. Oh yeah. We're going to keep going. We're the inflation. <laughs> <laughs> when you leave here, you're going to have 200 rentals. <laughs> Brian has 200 rentals. He makes about a million dollars a month. So 120 rentals. How yeah. much cash flow do you make on those 120 rentals? So some of so on average, all the larger deals, I get fifty percent of the equity. Okay. Okay, which means fifty percent of the cash flow. Yeah. On the smaller ones, I own those. I put yeah. my cash into those. Yeah. So you know. Do you know about how much mm, you make? I mean, sorry, twenty unit alone. The NOI on that one is like a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty thousand. So we net. I don't know, five grand a month, six grand, grand a month, month, something like that. And then, okay. you know, I got smaller units that bring in twenty five hundred, three thousand a month. I don't really look at it a lot, to be really? honest. I, I kid you not. Like I look at it for performance, but that's not the money I use to fund my lifestyle. So I just kind of let mm. it snowball, right? Yeah. I, I meet with the property managers, I meet with the project managers. We got a cadence to the cadence to the business. Yeah. But but I don't like until people recently started asking me how many units I had, I really didn't know the number either. Mm. I never pursued Real estate based off of units, not even so much units, but like what I would call the vanity metrics. Uh-huh. I think everybody stands on, you know, I got 10,000 doors. I got. Yeah. And, and that's nice. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like I get it. But for me, it's just never been about that. It's just mm-hmm. been about if I'm buying, then I'm just buying. And then I look yeah. up and I'm, I'm like, oh, so that's how many I got. Yeah. Right. And how old are you? Uh, I just turned 40 in September. OK. Yeah. So. But. Don't you have to like for tax purposes and all that reason like know how much cash flow you're bringing? My in? CPA does. Oh, your CPA yeah. does. All right. Yeah, and yeah. my bookkeeper. I mean, the people. I'm, 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 I'm being slightly facetious, but I mean, it's tens of thousands of dollars a month for yeah. sure. You know what I mean? So I you just, make six figures a year. For in sure. Cash flow. Yes. Net yes. to you. Yes. Okay. So do you think? Do you think you have an average per door like 150 to 200? Do you know that number? It's it's on average on the larger units about one fifty to two hundred. Uh-huh. On the smaller units is much higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean I could get a duplex in Detroit, for instance, and I bought three of these last year for like around seventy five K, put twenty five K into them, worth two hundred. That's high, right? Seventy five K. We're crushing Detroit right now. So we have a partner program. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, but uh-uh. We pretty much partner with a bunch of people all over the country, okay. and they send us deals, and then we help wholesale them or novate them or whatever. And like every time we get deals in Detroit, they're like fourteen grand for like a duplex or like like really cheap numbers. Did you know that cheap properties are expensive? hundred uh, percent. That's why. Yeah. I, that's why yeah. I'm always like. Yeah. That's why I don't. That's numbers. why I don't buy those. Right. Uh, we we advise against it. Yeah. It's a lot of red tape that people don't know about. Yeah. Especially through like. Uh, that when you start blind, buying through these blight institutions, uh-huh. like Detroit Land Bank, for instance, where yeah. you could pick up a property for five, eight, ten thousand dollars, most people, if uneducated, 
go out and buy those properties thinking that you got a great deal because it's cheap. Yeah. Until not only when you start tearing into it and figure out that you underbid it the 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 job. Yeah. But then to find out all the red tape that comes along with it. They uh-huh. they pace you in these programs as to when you have to have certain things completed inside the property by a certain amount of time. Many people lose those properties. And guess the worst part? It goes back to the land bank. And then based on where you brought it up to, you lose all that money. And then they sell it to somebody else based on the new condition. Damn. Okay. So. Yeah. That's scary. So. Okay. So we talked about the acquisitions, mm-hmm. right? Wholesalers, brokers. Um, you're not doing any direct to seller? No. 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 No, no direct no, to seller. No. Okay. No, not at, the, not at the moment. Okay. Now yeah. let's talk about funding. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I know you're raising pri- private capital, but what about loans? Do you have like a lender that you typically work with? A couple. So once you get into the commercial multifamily space, it's so interesting how lenders that lend up to eight units won't lend over that. And mm-hmm. lenders that lend 20 units or above won't lend under that. I guess that one makes a little more sense. Yeah. So I've got, based on the size of the asset that I want to take down uh-huh. and whatever the the scope of work is for that project, yeah. I've got a couple different outlets that I'll go through. Like who are some big lenders? Oh, uh, WeLend. Shout out to WeLend in New we York. Lend? Yeah, WeLend. Okay. Yeah. What about Kiavi? Or Anchor Loans? Have you heard of them? <sighs> Anchor Loans, familiar with. Kiavi, heard of them. It's like but, Lending Home. They used to be called okay. Lending Home, and now they're they're like they're who we use for rentals and flips and all that got stuff. You. Um, I like them because once you build a relationship with them, they're very flexible. They're a huge institution, so they're okay. not like a mom and pop shop. It's a it's like I think they're bigger than Anchor Loans, but um. Mm. But yeah, that's yeah, we, we land has been really good. They've done some things for our students as well. Uh-huh. Uh, Minnow Lending, they're really good as well. Uh, they're based out of Detroit. They do yeah. a lot for our students on the fix and flip side. Got it. Yeah. So what about, so, okay, let's say someone's looking at lending and they're like, okay, what are good terms when you're buying apartments? It, that's another one of those taboo topics for me. I mean, obviously the terms are important. Yeah. But to me, does the deal pencil? Like, did I leave myself enough? Because you know what rates are, right? So yeah. either you're going to retire or you're going to figure out how to do better deals even at the higher interest rates. Yeah. So right now, I mean, hard money across the board, commercial or not, has been, you know, 10, 12% for sure. Really? Yeah. We yeah. get like eight, but I think our purchase prices are higher. So it might make more sense. Very much so. Yeah, Very much 9%. so. Yeah. Okay. So you're paying around 10% interest. Yeah. What's like, a good down payment. Like if they say, if they come at you with 50%, you're like, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing it. Okay. Yeah. So 50%. Yeah. If, if I, if I don't get at least 75% leverage, I'm probably not interested. So that's even with beginners, they should be looking for about 75%. For beginners, I would say beginners should be looking for a coach or a sponsor yeah. or both. Okay. Right. A sponsor. What is that? Yeah. So somebody that has the credibility that could come in and maybe sign off on the debt because they can get you better terms. And the, the interesting thing about commercials, similar to to single family to some degree, is before they lend to you, they want you to have experience. It was like, well, how do I get experience if you don't lend to me? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's the catch twenty two. Yeah. Same is true in commercials. So before you buy a larger asset, they want to see that you either have one on your uh, on your balance sheet or that you know mm. somebody that does. Mm. So someone starting out, I would highly recommend after one getting educated, yeah. two to probably find a sponsor that could come in and sign off on the debt. Got it. Okay. So, and then if so, if a sponsor comes in and signs on the debt, do they own part of it or that, how does that typically work? That that varies as well, but I've done it both ways yeah. where even with me, you know, being in the I was in the game for 14 years single family before I got into commercial multifamily and even with all my body of work, they were like, "No, you still need a sponsor." So, mm. uh I, I bought a, a guy in and the first deal I gave him equity, second deal I just paid him a flat fee. Yeah. And he was good with that. Okay, that's good. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So you're looking for a 75% down, about 10% interest. And then all all of your deals are value add. So are these lenders, so what's like the length of loan? And then are they giving you rehab costs? Yeah. So, yeah, can you break those for down? For sure, for sure. So typically, especially if you have a strong sponsor, they'll cover 100% of your rehab costs. Really? Okay. Okay. And then... um the length of the loan, it just depends. So like, for for instance, if I know I have a heavy rehab going up front, even though their standard may be 12 to 18 months, mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and request for the 24 up front. 
because you're going to pay cheaper money if you do it that way and pay a half a point Mm -hmm. more as opposed to on the back end, they're going to crucify you, Mm -hmm. right? So if you you can kind of understand the runway of your project, just negotiate the length that you want up front versus wait until to commit to something knowing – it's probably going to exceed 12 months and yeah. then you're on the back end get begging for help. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you're getting like bridge debt. Yeah. Yeah. You're Initially bridge, bridge debt. debt. Once we get past the renovation, then we refi into long-term debt. And what is the, what is the length on a long-term debt usually? I mean, right now I got a refi going on right now. Actually it's 30 year debt. Really? Yeah. 30 year debt. Eight, eight and a half percent. That's not bad. Not at all. 30 year fixed In this rate? climate. Absolutely. It's fixed rate. Yeah. Hmm. And that's on a 20-something unit, or is that on like... That's a- actually on a 20-unit. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we talked about finding deals. We talked about financing. Is there anything else on financing that people usually wonder? I don't think so. I think we covered the financing piece. I think the biggest piece that we need to talk about uh-huh. is the execution. Okay. Because none of the deals don't... <clears throat> None of the deals don't work if you can't execute. Okay. Right. And I think that's the piece that's that's grossly missed on even single family projects. Yeah. yeah. Because we get so fixated on the numbers and the aesthetic of what the potential is that yeah. we forget that if you don't hire the right team and manage the people and yeah. right, like uh-huh. I don't care how good the deal is, it won't be any money at the end of it. Yeah. And so I oh, think you're talking about after you purchase it, one hundred percent. God, right? Okay, acquisition okay. is the easiest part. It doesn't seem that way, especially to a beginner. Yeah. But acquisition, as you know, becomes the easiest part. Yeah. It's about can you really hire, manage, and run teams effectively to get mm-hmm. the deal done on time and yeah. costs and all the rest of it to yeah. where there's actually some profit at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So okay, how do you find these people? And then how do you know you got? Okay, I'll tell you a quick story. Okay. So. so so in 2020, I, I wanted to flip 50 houses a year. That was my goal. Flip 50 houses a year. Um, I was buying like six to seven houses a month. But to actually flip 50, you have to like finish buying by August, right? So I was like, okay, I got to like buy more. So I got this great idea. I was like, you know what? Why don't I just buy houses in a cheaper market? Because they're easier to do. Why am I buying these? two to four hundred thousand dollar flips when i could buy a house in georgia for like 75 grand Mm -hmm. right so then started networking right i went to uh carlos reyes's event i don't know if you know carlos reyes from Mm -hmm. all in yeah so went to his event linked up with some wholesalers they're like dude we can get you deals and we get you a contractor i was like bro this is amazing (laughs) i'm getting the deals the contractor i just need to do the money yeah so I bought my first deal. It was like 75 grand or something like that. It was cheap. It was cheaper than here. And um, I was supposed to sell it for, I don't know, we'll say 160, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I buy the house. The, the wholesalers are supposed to, be, uh, supposed to help me with the contractor. Long story short, we're like months in and I am way upside down on paying this contractor, meaning I paid him too much money for the work that he did, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, hey, bro, I paid you like 45 grand and it looks like you've demoed the house. Like, what the hell? And he was How did that happen? I'm just curious. Well, I was too busy. I was too busy. I I couldn't check on the property. I was trusting the wholesalers to check on the property. They were telling me stuff was done. But then when I finally kind of slowed down uh, and I was like, hey, like like FaceTime me. I want to see it. And not only until I sent a third party there that went and looked at the house and they're like, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Then I was like, damn, I'm like way over budget on this property. I'm simplifying it because it's kind of a long story. But oh, I get it. I lost a half a million bucks dealing with contractors. Yeah, so I, I yeah get you it. get it. Yeah. So so anyway, so um, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm in big trouble now because one, this contractor, he was pretty much holding me hostage. He was like, I ain't letting no one else come in here and finish this. You got to keep paying me. And, um, and if you don't pay me, I'm gonna take all the shit that's in here, the granite I just put in, I'm gonna break it. I'm gonna take it. And I was like, damn. So I ended up having to call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like a whole big shit show. He was smoking in the house. He had dogs living in the house. It was crazy. And, um, ended up losing money on the deal. Right. Because I trusted a wholesaler that didn't know what they were doing. And then I wasn't managing the contractor correctly. And then it ended up selling less than what I thought it was going to sell for because it wasn't rehabbed right. 
and it was just a whole crap show. Yeah. So to to transition to finding the right team, that's I've gone through the wrong team. For sure, for sure. And I think as much as it is finding the right people, it's about having the right systems and processes in place. Yeah, yeah. So one of the first things that could have insulated you and myself a long mm-hmm. time ago was paying contractors in arrears. Oh, yeah. If you only pay them based on work completed, then yeah. there's never a way for them to get ahead of the money. 100%. Because if they only did demo, they're only getting paid for demo. Yep. Right? Yep. So a lot of new investors say, well, how do you determine how much of a deposit you should give them? And I said, well, let's just think about it logically. If mm-hmm. it's a $60,000 renovation, it's probably going to take them a couple months to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give you a deposit on demo and the first thing you're working on. Yeah. So if you're doing demo on the roof first, then yeah. I'm going to get, right? And so they're like, well, what, what happens when he pushes back? I said, well, just ask him logically. So yeah. if I gave you half the money down that you're requesting, can you do half the work in one week? Yeah. The answer is always no. no. Because based on sheer order operations, you can't do half a project in a week. Yep. So they have no ground to stand on other than the fact that they want to hold my money in their pocket instead of me keeping it in mine. Yep. That's a no bueno yep. for me. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing we do by is, is insulate ourselves based on how we pay them. Mm-hmm. You guard the money. Mm-hmm. Right? And then from there... Then you got to be educated on one of the things we do well in our in our program is we teach people how to hold the realtor accountable, the mm-hmm. list agent, the uh, the contractor, the project manager, the appraiser. Not for you to do their jobs, but if you don't have enough knowledge about what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. then just like taking advice from that wholesaler that didn't have a clue. If you don't know and he doesn't know, then how do you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's important that we understand exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So, for example. Why are you painting and the roof needs to be done? Yeah. Because if that thing leaks, then all this new drywall yeah. and paint. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why, why, why are we putting up drywall and we haven't pressure tested the plumbing? Yeah. Because if we spring a leak when we cut this water on, then I just spent $10,000 on drywall I got to tear out. Mm-hmm. So it's an order of operations mm-hmm. in the process of doing a renovation. It don't yeah. matter what the application is. Yeah. It's just a certain way it should be followed. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because... I already knew all that. I've I've already been flipping houses for years mm-hmm. when I was having this problem. But one, I like I said, I had so much going on that mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, whatever. You need another 10k here. Like, just hurry up and finish. And then, um, like, not checking on the order of operations at the time. I was like, all right, like they want to paint. Here's 5k. Okay, you want floor? And I remember that too. I was like. I was like, why are they putting the floors down? They haven't even painted the house. Like, mm. that's weird. Like, usually you you paint the house first. Sure. You don't want to like put flooring, brand new flooring, and, and they then go paint, paint the house. Here, yeah, right. exactly. But they were like, oh, you know, you're micromanaging me. You know, this is how we do it over here. And in my head, I'm like, you know what? This is this was in like Augusta, Florida, or no, Augusta. It was like in Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe in Savannah, Georgia. They just do a difference, so whatever. But then once I finally was like, all right, let me pay attention to what the hell's going on. That's when I was like, all right, for sure I'm screwed. And I I knew I try to fight with him to like for him to finish. And that took like a month. And then I was just like, all right, I just gotta pull the plug and just take take the L because I was so far behind. Yeah. On time too, that I was just like, dude, I gotta just take my own. And and then he he leaned the property mm-hmm. for like another 10 grand and i had to pay it because i called a, an attorney over there and they're like you know by the time the courts open it's when it was during 2020 like by the time the courts open and all this stuff it's going to be so long um you know the holding costs is just going to be more and all this crap and i was just like damn dude so yeah, yeah so managing construction virtual seems to be a very tricky situation for sure. It, but the, the same things you're susceptible to eight blocks away, mm-hmm. you're susceptible to 800 miles away. Yeah, but if you're eight blocks away, at least you can go there and be like, Yeah, hey, but if like, he ain't no there at here. work, then, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's the same. The, the consequence is the same. Yeah, the consequence. And so yeah. for me, if going back to we talked about risk, is mm-hmm. risk mitigation, mm-hmm. right? So if, if I'm going to go out and pursue a deal, do I want to pursue a deal in my backyard where I can maybe make 10, 12% and I'm susceptible to this contractor not doing their job? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to go into a market where I can make 30 to 60% and mm-hmm. I'm susceptible to these same things? Now, mm-hmm. obviously, I can't go in there half cocked. I got to have the right infrastructure in place. So yeah. one of the things we do for our students, which is why they've been so successful even doing it as far as Denmark, is teach them 
how to to hire project managers. Okay. Right. And give them all of the systems and processes that they need to where you got full visibility as if you are there, although you're not. Mm-hmm. Right. And even for even for for investors that invest locally, because while I say remotely, it's really a framework. It's not just that we do it from afar, because even my deals I do locally in Orlando, I would set them up remotely to where it's really just me replacing myself from the day to day. Mm. And somebody is out there on my behalf doing all those things that I would do if I were physically there, mm, okay. which then frees me up as an investor because now I could focus on finding more deals mm-hmm. and raising more capital, mm-hmm. right? Because I got somebody else dealing with all the day to day, which is very important, by the way, mm-hmm. but just not necessarily that I need to do it. Got it. Right. Another thing that we do is uh, make sure that we use lien waivers. Oh, okay. Because I've been in that same situation as you many years ago, right? Because then it's much easier to get rid of a contractor. All of them threaten that they will put a lien on your property if you don't have lien waivers in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's becoming even more of a standard practice with the good hard money lenders that I've seen. They require the 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 investor to even do it, right? Because it's everybody's protection. While it does seem arduous in the process, it really is for everyone's protection. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean... They really held you hostage in your own they project. Did. They did, right, for months. And so we got to be we got to be careful and cognizant of that as well. But um, I've seen horror stories from afar. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but I've I've seen them literally right there in the backyard as well. So for mm-hmm. me, I just the reason I like remote investing so much. Well, let me ask you this: Would you rather be in a position where you can go do more deals, mm-hmm. or be relegated to only doing the ones that's in your market? It's tough because honestly, I only do deals in my market. Mm. I would love to do deals. So we could talk about me later, but I've always wanted to do virtual deals and buy these cheap properties. Mm -hmm. But I've always thought like, all right, maybe the grass is greener on the other side because like you said, all these people, I've talked to some of the biggest investors in the country. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to say names, but I've talked to the biggest. Mm -hmm. And when you actually look at the numbers, you're like, okay, you actually don't make any money. So I don't get I don't get the point. I, I think the point is like, oh, I got a thousand units. Uh, I get I get the long term potential, but yeah. most of the people that I've spoken to, there's there's only a handful that I'm like, okay, this person actually makes money mm-hmm. and it makes sense. It's not like they own ten thousand units and they break even every month. It's a multifaceted play for sure. A yeah. lot of it is more tax shelter in a lot of cases than it is the actual, that's what I meant. Like I don't live off my cash flow. But, you you, but you know honestly, what I mean? But honestly, like some of these gurus or investors, mm-hmm. I'm like a tax shelter when they don't make any money doesn't make sense. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Like what are you like? They don't make money. Yeah. So I don't get the tax shelter play. Well, you got to make money to have a tax problem. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly. So yeah, in that case, it don't apply. Yeah. Right. But but in other cases, it absolutely does. Yeah. For sure. I think, you know, if I really want to expose some of these gurus, mm-hmm. like they make more money selling education than they actually do uh, as a real estate investor. I don't know if that's exposing anybody, though. I, I think... And it's okay to make more, but some but, of them it's like ninety nine one percent. But like, one is far more scalable than the other. Oh yeah, and and I and right. we make great money selling yeah. education, but I have made just as much money as a real estate investor. I get that, and I get and that. I get yeah, like maybe let's just say last year there was a huge uh, discrepancy because of losses from mm-hmm. flips and all that stuff, but we're still in the game like doing deals mm-hmm. where some of these gurus, I feel like they just could, they make a bunch of money, a lot of money, which is fine. Like good for them. Yeah, like yeah. I'm not hating on them at all. Great for them. They yeah. make a bunch of money, but they don't actually like do deals. That's important for me. It is some sensitivity around, yeah. it, right? You, you gotta be a do rule as I guess they would call yeah. it. Yeah. Because how do you, how do you have the sensitivity for what your students are going through in real time? If you're disconnected from yeah. the reality of what's really happening yeah. in the market. Yeah. And the only way you realize that is by actually being in the market. Yep. And so I I think that's extremely important that that us as educators, we lead by example. Yep. 
and be able to help our people in real time mm -hmm. with real solutions, not some antiquated stuff that worked yeah, eight years ago. Yeah, they heard ago. about somebody else. Yeah. And yeah, like regurgitating information. Like I've I've talked to a lot because I know almost all the gurus. I know everyone in the industry. And like I've definitely have talked to people where they haven't done deals in years, mm -hmm. but they are killing the freaking education space. And it's great for them. Like that's great. But I haven't yet found someone in the multifamily space that mm -hmm. I've met and and wanted to mirror their business. Cause like I said, I when I comes down to it, they don't make money. And I like income. I'm a very I like chasing income. I don't care about doors. Mm -hmm. Like I have 34 doors. I rather have five doors and make 10K yeah. than freaking a thousand doors and make 10K. 100%. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest misnomer about buying doors. Yeah. Right. You could have somebody who's an LP that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'm not knocking this, by the way. So don't don't crucify me in the comments. Yeah. But, but they may own 3% of a thousand doors. They making no money and they they like, hey, I make a thousand doors. And so to a new investor or even a seasoned one for that matter, they get deflated. Yeah. By chasing this ghost that they don't 100%. even understand you're doing better than what they are. 100%. That you don't have the rest of the context. Yeah. So that's yeah. an important piece you brought up. And not even just gurus. Like I've talked to people at our WealthCon events all over the place where they're like, yeah. I'm like, what do you do? Like what kind of real estate? Oh, I got, I own a thousand doors. And then again, like you said, I dig into it and they own like a, such a small percent that they literally, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And they're financially not making any money. And I'm like, why don't you flip and wholesale houses? Like, <laughs> right, right, I don't get it. Like, right. It's just the door thing. Like, yeah. oh, I have a hundred doors, but I own one tenth of a percent. But they don't tell the people that part. Not they just say, all. oh, I, I own a hundred doors. Not at all. It's scary to me because I'm income oriented. I think I'm more purpose driven nowadays than mm -hmm. I, and I, but, but, but me seeking my purpose happens to always bring me income. So that yeah. works out, right? Yeah. So I'm always confused by that. The people mm -hmm. that get caught up on the vanity metrics, but they're not really making any money. Exactly. That's baffling for me because it's the ego. work is the same. It's ego. Right? It's an ego thing. Yeah. I, I learned that when I was a realtor also. So I used to be a realtor in like 2016. I would talk to people and they're like, yeah, I made like 300,000 GCI. And then I started like understanding like, okay, that's gross commissions, but your broker takes 25%, right? And then you pay a 6% franchise fee, right? And then you pay Zillow 5K a month, right? So you made, so you really made 60K. Mm. Like, why don't you just say that? Yeah. Why don't you just say you made 60K instead of inflating yourself up? I've always like underestimated like what I make because mm -hmm. I don't want to like have this high self-esteem where I walk around like, yeah, I made 300K this year. But I really made 60 because that means I have so much more to learn. But if I think I made, if I'm telling myself I made 300, but I really didn't, I'm actually hurting myself. 100%. 100%. It, it becomes harder to measure your real progress. Yep. Right? And then you can get deflated and don't feel like you're really growing mm -hmm. when you actually are because it's been years where I made less on the top line, but my bottom line, I made more. Yeah. So how do you, right? So yeah. if you got that flipped around to where you always chasing the top line number and not looking at what you're keeping, mm -hmm. then is it kind of is a fallacy to me. Yep. I've done, I've made that mistake too, where I'm like, dude, I'm going to make, let's say $2 million in revenue and then we'll do it. And I'm like, damn, I made like half of what <laughs> <laughs> I made half of what I was doing, half the revenue, because like I said, I've told off air, like spending, chasing revenue mm -hmm. and then you start like it's it's a dangerous game for but, sure all right so we talked about acquisitions operations financing what about picking markets i know a lot of people don't want to do detroit because they hear horror stories of like how it's ghetto or, which, which by the way stay away it's all yeah, true don't it's go bad to don't go to detroit just stay don't go away to las vegas or yeah. california california's bad yeah gavin newsom's a devil never invest in california but um so how do people go picking a market that's remote? Yeah, and I'm going to give everybody this, right? So one of the tools that we use is bestplaces.net. Okay. It's a free resource, right? Okay. I've never heard of that. Uh, of course you didn't because it's free, <laughs> right? Nobody talks about that yeah. kind of stuff. But but it's really effective in that um, you can go in and see the makeup of a market, right? Really? So you can see you know the percentage of home ownership versus renters. Okay. And so if you zoom into a micro market, you go into a zip code and you can see that it's 74% uh, 
uh, renters, it's probably not a good market for you to flip in. Really? Right. It's really high. Is there markets like that? Oh, absolutely. Memphis was one of them several years ago. Yeah. Right. 70. Yeah. yeah that it exists for yeah, sure. Yeah. That's crazy. I hope it's better now. But a couple of years ago when I looked at the Memphis, cause I was buying like a 355 unit deal there a couple of yeah. years ago. So that drove me to look at the market. But once you figure that out, then that kind of tells you what your strategy should be in that market. Mm. So if you have your own fix and flip, you don't want to go into a market that's 74 percent renters because yeah. where's the homeowners who are yeah. you flipping these properties to yeah right now that the adverse of that works well because you could cash flow in the home ownership market all day long but uh-huh. the opposite you know not so much so what kind of like percentages are you looking for i look for pretty balanced pretty balanced markets so which most are 60 40 50 yeah. 50 somewhere in there oh, you okay. know and uh but but that's where i tell our students to start uh-huh. In terms of looking at the data, because mm-hmm. we like to make data-driven decisions, not just yeah. emotional ones. Yeah. Um, or what the realtor said. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, 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 um, so that, and then just trusting the comps, Re- uh-huh. really digging into the comps, and uh-huh. no comps, no deal. That's our rule. Like mm-hmm. we, you really gotta. And I like to get into emerging markets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't like to be the first one. Never want to be the first one through the door, but don't mm-hmm. mind being two or three. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you, you know, turning around a whole neighborhood or something like that, that'd be yeah. different where, you know, you're going to set the pace for the entire yeah. neighborhood. But yeah, that's, we typically had them start with bestplaces.net. And then the other piece is, do you know someone there or do you have interest in going there? Like, because, you know, maybe I would invest in Vegas because yeah. I like coming out to Vegas. Yeah. Or sometimes it's really that simple sometimes. Right. Yeah. And, um, you have to be interested in it. Yeah. Be yeah. interested in it. For yeah. sure. We've got students in Detroit that, that flip properties and wholesale properties in North Carolina. We got, mm. you know, student, uh, definitely all of our California students do stuff in the Midwest. Yeah. You know. But how does someone pick? Because, like, let's say for me, I'm from California. Yeah. I just moved to Vegas. And I, I'm i not interested in going anywhere, to be honest. I don't care mm-hmm. about anything. I just want to, like, make cash. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, like, how do I pick a good market? Yeah. Literally, you will start with bestplaces.net. So okay, you would just put, so so, so no so what I'm saying is so you would so let's just say you you mentioned Georgia yeah right so you go into Georgia figure out one of our students in uh, Sacramento is doing a flip right now in Lithonia, Georgia okay right so he knew he wanted to go to Georgia okay. and he started playing around on BestPlaces.net so he went into the real estate. Uh, portion of the site would lose you with how much data is in there, right? Yeah. We do a whole training on it. But essentially, you go into the real estate portion of the site, you drill into, you know, high level, you can see mm-hmm. what, what the whole state of Georgia is doing, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you got more specificity to a city, then you could put in Atlanta, for instance. Yeah. And then once you put in Atlanta, you'll start to see all of these various zip codes pop up, mm-hmm. right? Well, when you start to see the same zip code popping up all the time, then there's activity. Yeah. And people are probably doing flips. Mm, okay. That's a clue. Got it. Right? But what about for rentals? You would just look for a lot of rental activity? Yeah, you would look at the data. So if it's top heavy in rentals, like it, it's it's one thing, again, to flip in a renter heavy market. Okay, if you had to pick three markets in the United States mm-hmm. to buy apartments in, where would you go? That's a tricky question, man. Obviously, I like my market, which is yeah. why I've been investing yeah. there. I looked at several markets in Ohio. Okay. Right. Like which one? Like Cleveland? Columbus, Cleveland, Columbus. Cincinnati. Yeah. If you had to pick one, though. Yeah. I, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati. I, you know, yeah. I got no dog in the fight, yeah. but these are markets that I looked at. Yeah. Uh, as well as some parts of the Carolinas as well. Why not like Indianapolis? Uh, or OKC, just because I I could pick, yeah, right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. again, back so back to choices, back to what yeah. we talked about, yeah. it's like it's always a good market, yeah. Somewhere you somebody is pick. making money everywhere, bro. Yeah. And yeah. so it it literally is just about you know where your appetite goes. Yeah, yeah. So what about if a student wants to start investing into apartments? Mm-hmm. Is there a typical buy box that you tell them to look for? Like, hey, you should buy something between five and ten units first, yeah. or you should you should look for the one percent rule or something like that, or two percent rule. So the 
the basis of our program mm-hmm. is we teach one to four units. One to four units. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So we're teaching people essentially how to buy fix and flip wholesale and cash flow. Mm-hmm. One to four units. One to four right? units. Okay. Uh, my inner circle, like my VIP students, I got a couple that I would help on the, the apartment side. Yeah. But it's not something that I do uh, front facing. It's on a select basis. Yeah. You know, because they have to have a different set of criteria, a different um, profile than yeah. some of the other people when or they're just, just starting out. Yeah. Right. It just makes more sense. Yeah. You know, and it's a it's a good evolution to start out one to four units, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because like you talked about with the wholesaler that didn't know what they were doing. The reason we teach all three strategies mm-hmm. is so that they are more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether they deploy all three strategies is immaterial. The mm-hmm. fact that they because here's the deal. If you're a wholesaler and I'd love to get your opinion on this. If you're a wholesaler and you've been doing flips. Yeah. Then. I probably could bring a flipper a better deal if I understand the way that they're going to look at the project. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm a flipper, I need to understand what the market wants so that I'm renovating this thing to what my end user wants, right? It's just all reverse engineering. And so uh, we we found that our students have even been more successful with wholesaling because their number is not all over the place. Mm -hmm. When they they bring the flipper a deal, it's Mm -hmm. actually a deal. Yeah. As opposed to hoping and guessing it's a deal yeah. because of what you got it under contract for and yeah. that you're trying to make a quick 10K. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But what about, okay, let's transition to mindset and goals, okay. right? So we're about to enter the new year, right? Um, do you have your 2024 goals written out? I've got iterations of it written out. So, okay. so up until recently... My tw- and, and I don't know. I still go back and forth. My 2024 goal was to buy a hotel. Your 2024 goal? Yeah. Okay. To buy a hotel. I want to do my first hotel acquisition. International flag, like a Hampton Inn or something like that. Okay. And uh, just like the asset class. Want to see what it's about, mm-hmm. right? And But I got other things pulling on me right now that that may change. I've got a lot of people that have been wanting to like scale their coaching and consulting businesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I definitely cut my teeth in that space. And mm-hmm. so I just, bro, I just like helping people. Right. And yeah, I like yeah, helping yeah. people make money. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I'm more passionate about that than any real estate transaction. Real estate yeah. is just a vehicle. And as you yeah. know, when you do enough transactions, that's all they become is that. Yeah. And I like to really touch the people. God has gifted me in such a way to help people become the person they need to become to do the thing he's called them to do to have yeah. the stuff he promised us that they that we could have. Uh-huh. And so that I'm that I'm passionate about. And so maybe the hotel happens, maybe it doesn't, but that yeah. that is one thing on my list and then mergers and acquisitions in 2025. That's kind of like my 24 month plan. What is that mergers and acquisitions? What does that mean? Buying businesses. Oh, buying businesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. It. Do you own any businesses right now? Uh, the cigar company down in Dominican Republic, but yeah. outside of that, yeah. yeah, the real estate and coaching business. Yeah, so I've been I've been working on my goals, and um, I was actually working working on them with Ryan, and um, it's weird because at church on Sunday, the pastor was talking about vision and goals and stuff like that, and then he said something about like where your where your goals are, or something like that is where your spirit's going to be. So if mm-hmm. all your goals are money based, then that kind of shows like where your where your worship is. So I was like, damn. So I, I looked moment. at my goals. I was like, damn, they're all money. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, how do I make like worship goals or like faith based goals? Right? Like I can't help baptize a hundred people. Right? I don't think that's that's. Right. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> but to set that goal to do it, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I've I've been kind of struggling with that. Like I know next year, and I like to talk about my goals openly. I don't care. Yeah, I yeah. just put it out there. So yeah. next year, I want to make two million dollars. Okay. I want to get up to fifty-five units. I want to get rid of some of my freaking single-family properties and exchange them for uh, small apartments. Okay. Um. I want to get my wife into the faith because she's. She's kind of been doing her own thing. Okay. Um, I want to, I need to get in shape 175, you know what I'm saying? 185, bench 225, like 10 times, something like that. Yeah. What else? Um, date night once a week, um, date night once a month with the kids. Um, what else? I got them all written down. 
Um, get wealthy investor to twenty million dollars a year. Okay. Um, what else? I think that's the that's the gist of it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you pray about your goals? I do. Like literally, when you're making them, though. Mm, I mean, I fasted recently while I was thinking about them. I tried to pray, but then again, I started getting in my head like. Am I praying for money? I don't want to like pray for money. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't no, know. If I, I should no, pray no, for no, money. no, 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 no. I know, I, bro, I know exactly what you're saying. I remember looking at, I call them vision, right? Each yeah. year I write my vision. And I remember looking at 2020. Yeah. It was all money stuff, like, right? Yeah. Car. And it, oh, my God. House. And then I looked in 2021 and I wrote them out and I was like, oh, this is purpose. Mm. Yeah. And from that moment forward, I'm like, I need to consult with him when yeah. I'm making this stuff up because mm. just to make sure my flesh isn't getting away of his will. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I meant exactly by while I want to do a hotel in 2024 mm-hmm. based on the assignment that I believe he's putting in front of me, mm-hmm. he's pulling me in a different direction. Mm. Right. And so 2024 is definitely going to be more speaking engagements, more podcasts, mm-hmm. more of me allowing him to use me as a vessel and yeah. touching people and impacting people in a different kind of way. Yeah. And it's going to turn into some money, right? Yeah. Well, but yeah, well. but it's just not money focus. Yeah. You just got to be ready and have the things that people need when they need them. Because the people that you're looking for are also looking for you. Yeah. Do you feel like, I don't know, you know, I don't know how you might take this, but do you feel like the African-American community is like underserved in the real estate space as far as education? <clears throat> I, I believe at this point, no one's underserved. Really? I believe at this point, whatever you're seeking, you will find. Okay. And everything is there. What's on your social media feed? Because everybody got their phone in their hand. Yeah. Is it the entertainment? Is it all the stuff that's not having any impact on you yeah. hitting your goals? Yeah. Or is it the stuff that you need to have in your feed that can start teaching you about the thing that you want to learn? I don't know. Because so I lived in California and, you know, obviously I live in Vegas now. I don't know a lot of African-American real estate investors. How many African-Americans you, you hang around? Uh, I would say two, two, three. That could be part of it. I mean, I don't know. I'll say like four. I say four. That's but, still a small number. I mean, it's a lot of us. <laughs> There's three in this room right now. You know what I'm saying? But but <laughs> I hang out with real estate investors. Yeah. And like, if you were to ask me right now, g- give me one African American house flipper in Las Vegas. I don't know. Yeah. In California. Bro, I literally don't know. And I know a lot of people. Yeah. It's not like I'm like sheltered. It's just like who I see. We have yeah. meetups here. Don't I don't see him. I yeah. don't see him on YouTube. Like who's who's the I know Max Maxwell. I know Tony from Bigger Pockets. Right. Who else? Who else on the West Coast? Yeah. I see East Coast people. Yeah, I, I get that. I think I I think it's more of an exposure thing than anything. There's, we have a lot of presence in the real estate space in terms of Coast? actually doing deals, right? On the West Coast? I've got students on the West Coast that, that are doing deals. I got a couple here in Vegas, actually. But are they on social media? They're not. That's what I'm saying. They're not. They're running, yeah. their, they're running their businesses yeah, in the background. Yeah, I'm not saying in real estate. I'm saying in real estate education. Oh, in the education space. Yes. Got it. I mean, it's, it's some, like you mentioned, Max Maxwell, Tony. Uh, I know real estate Diddy. But again, he's from the East Coast. Ah, uh, West Coast specifically. Yeah, I don't. Because you, I don't. You I don't know many on the yeah, West Coast. I can't relate to Max Maxwell. Yeah, because he's buying houses in North Carolina. They're like that's true. Sixty five k. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even real estate Diddy, I, I I speak to him and like he's doing deals in like Alabama or whatever. Like, but I guarantee you, whoever's watching this pod, like, shout us out. Let us know in the. It's somebody out there, bro. What I meant was. I don't know. What I meant was the visibility pieces was missing. I guarantee you, it's somebody out here that's killing it on the West Coast that we just don't know about them. Yeah, you didn't know about me until I sat down here today. Yeah, but right? you're but you're from Detroit. Th- this is true. I mean, I live in yeah. Orlando. But, yeah. But my point is, it's the visibility piece. I yeah. think that a lot of the time 
you know, from our culture, our brand seem to take off slower mm-hmm. in the education space mm-hmm. than it does in any other genre that yeah. exists. Yeah. Right. Entertainment, yeah. you a million followers, you a rapper, you got 300. Yeah. Right. So I think culturally that we just struggle to get the visibility until we can start to kind of come on podcasts and yeah. get in front of other audiences. Yeah. And, but then how do you get in front of other audiences if you don't know the people? And there's that conundrum. And yeah. so I think that that's the dichotomy that many of us are caught up in. is just not having the exposure and visibility. Yeah. And then as we talked about offline, like, or you're going to go spend 50 grand a month on ads. Yeah. That's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of it, but I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think we underserve in terms of, for those people that are interested in getting in the business. Yeah. But I do think that we're probably under monetized in the education space and we lack visibility a lot of the time. 100%. Yeah. Especially on the West Coast. I've I've talked about this with everyone and I'm like, who do you know? I've for years. Okay. Because, you know, I I'm mixed. So, I grew up I grew up in the black community. Like my father-in-law, my cousins, everyone, like my grandfather. Mm. I spent more time with them than my Puerto Rican side. Okay. Like I don't even speak Spanish. And I definitely like growing up was like, okay. And then especially when I started hearing about real estate, I was like, I don't see a lot of like black investors. Mm. I don't see it. Like, again, the Max Maxwell's, the East Coast people, there's a guy, in, I know a guy named Brian Brian buys houses. Yeah, yeah. Where I think he's he? down in Texas, if he, I'm not exactly. mistaken. Exactly. Everything is over there. Nothing is over here. And then I've also just like, there's so like, you know, the Brandon Turners, the, all these like big, 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 big guys. Like they're, you know, you know. You bring up a good point though. Cause <laughs> I mean, I'm uh shout out to my guy, Mike Zuber at One Rental at a Time. He was on Ryan's show yeah. recently, yeah. right? So I'm on Mike's channel every monday just feeding his people and so he asked me to come speak at his event out here in vegas in february okay it's like 20 speakers yeah i'm the only black one right <laughs> so so you may be on to something i think, I think i'm 100 yeah, it's been yeah, yeah. years i'm talking about since 2016 because yeah. i was just like that's interesting like every time i go to networking events on social media i just don't see them west coast like east coast yes mm-hmm. and i know there's like because I have family in New York. They have their own gurus and their own people that they listen to and hear about. Oh, actually, who's the guy from uh, Breakfast Club? What's his name? Uh, it's Charlemagne. Oh, Charlemagne, yeah. Yeah, but who's the other guy? <laughs> oh, DJ Envy. I, I ain't saying that name. Yeah. Don't, don't, oh, don't, like get, don't get me caught up in that, man. I ain't saying that <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I get it, though. It's, but yeah, yeah. but that, that was the only big guru that I've heard of. And then Max Maxwell, of course, but he's in Dubai now. Yeah. You know, he's doing his own thing. But, what uh, is a guru, though? Like, we got to define that. Like, please. Someone that teaches and gets paid. <sighs> but I thought to be a guru, you got to be like a Zen master. Like, you're really supposed to know the stuff that you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so, so technically we, we, I'm a so guru. We, so You're we gotta we gotta be careful about who we call them gurus these days. They yeah, sound yeah, like. yeah. Because because okay. just because they have visibility don't make them a guru. No, they have to like teach something that they and do and know. Yeah, yeah, and get paid. I like that. We set the criteria for everybody. Yeah. So I think is there anything that we didn't cover? I feel like we covered acquisitions, operations. We talked about raising capital. Yeah. Investing remotely. Okay, last two questions. Yeah, last yeah. two questions. Number one, uh-huh. why do you rent out all your properties to Section 8? So there was this thing called COVID that happened. Okay. And during that, there was a lot of operators that got crushed. Oh, because people stopped paying? Because people stopped paying. So much so that the Section 8 market has never been more competitive. Mm. So after the rent moratoriums, yeah. now all of a sudden, like Section 8, their voucher is worth more than what it used to be in the yeah. sense that there's more people competing for it. Mm-hmm. Because even those that said, oh, I don't want to invest in those markets, you know, those that were in C plus, B minus, and A, you know, they got hosed. Yeah. And so now they're more open-minded. Now, here's a caveat that most people don't know about Section 8. People thought that Section 8 tenants tear your place up. That's what I think. But when you look at the data nationwide uh-huh. on a, ten- a tenant turn – post section 8 or post market in that in in those type of markets section 8 outperforms by so let's just say the average is 2800 section 8 
mm-hmm. it's probably five, six grand for a market tenant. For turn? And here's yeah. the reason. Because a Section 8 person tear up your, your, your property, then they're putting their voucher at risk. Mm, that makes sense. So they're more susceptible to actually not tear your property up than the market tenant mm-hmm. who was pissed off and got evicted was. So how do you make sure? Because I thought about this because I want to turn all my properties into Section 8 because I'm so tired of dealing with property management. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that they're not tearing up your property? Can you do like a monthly inspection or something like that? Or? So we we do semi-annual. But here's the thing. Section 8 does their own inspection every year, mm-hmm. which is pointed toward the tenant. But it actually plays to your benefit as well because you yeah. get to get them get them into the property and they get their eyes on how that person is living within your property as well. Yeah. Right? Um, we So our property management company, they they screen even our Section 8 tenants as mm-hmm. if we do like for our market rate tenants. Yeah. So they got to have income, all the rest. Like we yeah. don't let people move into our places even though they got a Section 8 voucher if they don't have any kind of income coming mm, in. Okay. Right? Got it. And so it's it's – it's nuanced to everything, as you know. Yeah. Right. But I've just found that the Section Eight approach, if you're going to buy in those type of markets, yeah. definitely makes more sense than than dealing with market rate tenants for sure. Got it. And then, I guess last question: Can you tell us about your worst deal that you have ever bought? <sighs> worst deal I ever bought. So I'll say this, the first flip I done, right, I depended on my agent to educate me on that market. Mm -hmm. She was familiar with the market, and bottom line is we got this saying in real estate, we make our money when we buy. Yeah, We say that because at the end of it, if you didn't buy right, there's no money at the end of it, right? Yeah. And so we were off on our ARV, which is why – you you got to get proficient at running comps and understanding really what the values are. Uh-huh. And so we did this flip, beautiful renovation, took us four months only to flip it and lose $26,000. Oh, that's not that bad. I mean, it was, what, I mean, extrapolated out, I've yeah. lost more money, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying in terms of the reason why that one stung most was because I was dependent upon somebody else to tell me what I should have been doing as an investor. Got it. Right? And that's the lesson in that is you have to become proficient at understanding how to underwrite deals, understanding comps, understanding rehab costs, understanding, um, you know, how to put deals together in terms of raising capital. You like, you got to become a master at what you do. Yeah. Because to your point, and I've been there, life is going to happen, but you can't afford in this business to be negligible. Yep. You're not going to make money if you're negligible in this business. Yep. And so, you know, I just I just caution everybody, if you're going to do it, do it the right way. Don't buy something because you got 50, 60, 70 grand in the bank burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah. And you think, I'm going to go buy this cheap property because I yeah. promise you, I promise you you're underfunded. And you thought you were buying an asset, you just picked up your first liability. Yeah. And that's when people had this whole notion of real estate is scam, it don't work. It's like, no, you didn't do it right. Yeah. You weren't investing, you were gambling. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I like that. Yeah. But all right, brother, if people want to reach out to you, where do they go? Yeah, Brian Adamson Official on all platforms, YouTube. And listen, I spend thousands of dollars every month to put out free content. That's a clue. Go, go soak it up. People do deals just for my free content. Okay. And um, and also, I I got a gift for them if you are. Yeah. So go to iflipebook.com. I got a free book. It's my manual on flipping remotely. All right? So make sure you go get your copy and let me know after you put it in play. Beautiful. All right, guys. This was the Wealthy Investor Podcast. We are out. Peace. <laughs>